girls do just want to have fun. And also, we want Uzis. Preferably from daddy. Yeah. That's all I ever <laughs> no, that's want. good. Yeah. Yeah, that's so true. The girls who cried be Welcome to 2023, our first episode of the new year. As always, I'm Anya. Hi, creeps. I'm Alex, and we are joined by a very special guest on today's episode. You will remember her from our Troll 2 episode. Uh, We have Miss Abby here with us, uh, co-host of Dearly Departed. I don't know if you're currently putting out new episodes, but there's some great episodes that you can listen to from the past. Hi, Abby. Thank you, Alex. Thank you. Dearly Departed is, you know, on indefinite hiatus, but we do have a lot of really fun episodes and, you know, we still consider ourselves a sister pod with you guys, but I'm so excited to be here. I've truly been so excited. I've been listening to your episodes, kind of uh, catching up a little bit, getting a feel for, you know, your artistry. It's very palpable. Um, yeah, I mean, Abigail Baldwin is um, a great mm. friend, uh, a roommate, um, and while Dearly Departed is not currently giving us new episodes in the airwaves, um, Abby is the, I guess position would be called editor-in-chief of a new Ooh. feminist zine um, that is available in a lot of local Los Angeles bookstores, and also if you follow her on Instagram and such, you can get mailed copies. Um, she has two out. It's called Slutty Garage. I'm a huge fan, genuinely. Um, and because we're covering, you know, a feminist horror film today, it felt really important to mention that she is an utmost feminist authorite. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you so much, because I was so worried that people were going to think that I was anti-feminist. Girl, right from the vibe jump. And I really you. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, Slutty Garage. Find us on Instagram. They are We're there. sold out in stores. That's the only place you can find us. Oh my I god, know. she's so yeah. fucking famous. We sold out. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Guys, yes, I love this movie. Oh, I know. Yeah. Well, it's so good. It was let's so get good. to this movie because we haven't even said what it is yet. Our movie for um, January 2023 is Night of the Comet from 1984. It was my select for the month. Mm-hmm. Um, it is, as we said, a feminist horror film. The plot I will get to, or Alex will get to momentarily when we give a synopsis. Um, but yeah, it's so fun. It had been one that was on my radar for a really long time. And then, like, I want to say, like, maybe a few months back, I watched it with Cornelia. And we were kind of, like, blown away. I was like, oh, my God. I loved that. Um, and I know, Abby, I really wanted to get her on the pod for a while. And I usually try to, if we bring people on, like, kind of coordinate a movie to them that feels like a good select for them. And I was like, oh, my God. Well, it's so feminist. And it's a story about sisters. I have a sister. Alex, you have a sister. Abby has two sisters. And I was like, then who better to have on for this sister horror comedy from the 80s? Um, but yeah, I mean, the first time I watched it, I loved it. Rewatching it, kind of forgot that it was a little bit of a Christmas movie. So I watched it like a few days before Christmas and it was perfect timing. Um, and I really love it. And I can't wait to talk about it. But um, what about y'all? I mean, this is the first time doing for both of you. Yeah. I watched it on Christmas night. <gasps> I had like a really nice Christmas and then I'm dog sitting. So I was alone in this apartment where I'm dog sitting um, 
after, you know, having some Christmas family time. And I put this movie on and I was like, oh, I wonder if I'm going to like this, like, you know, watching it on Christmas, blah, blah, blah. It is a Christmas movie, A, but it's like subtle. It's not overdoing yeah. it, which is really like I appreciate because I'm not a huge Christmas movie person. Um, truly from the jump, I instantly was like, oh, my God, I'm going to love this movie. Like, I was so excited. Um, very up my alley in kind of every regard. Mm-hmm. And it was surprising. It was different from what you expect. It wasn't totally beat for beat something I've seen before. So I appreciated it. It was nuanced. I was so happy to wake up this morning. And it was see feminist. Your, your review. It was feminist. Yeah. Uh, this was my first viewing also. It's been a movie that I've known about for a long time because I feel like a lot of horror podcasts talk about it. I've definitely heard like Corpse Club talk about it many, many times. And it's always been something I've wanted to see. Um, so I'm very glad you picked it because it just dropped on Shutter, And I was like, oh, yeah, that's been on my radar. And I told Greg that we were going to do it for this episode. And he, I could not tell you the last time he actually watched a movie with me for the podcast. And he was like, mm-hmm. I want to watch it. Yeah, I love that movie. We're watching it together. And I was like, <laughs> amazing. I can't wait. Uh, yeah, it's so fun. It has that 80s vibe from like the very opening. It's very original. I mean, you have, it, it kind of gave me like War of the Worlds vibes at times um, with like mm-hmm. the the dust, but it really is a story that like I've never seen before. And it's mm-hmm. really funny. It's so funny. I had yeah. like a hard time whittling down my favorite lines because I was like, this script fucking slaps. It's so I'm good. so delighted. It's so fun when like, I, especially like I'm sure you felt as well, Alex, where you pick a movie and the other person hasn't mm-hmm. seen it. And in my case, two people that haven't seen it where it's like, I've picked it. We're watching it. And we're talking about it. They might hate it. And, you know, I might love it and it mm-hmm. will be what it is. So it's so exciting that you both liked it so much because I like it so much. It's so exciting. Um, and as you brought up, Alex, it's for anyone before we get into any spoilers that will come after this point, you want to watch it for yourself, which we highly recommend. It is available on Shudder uh, and then on a bunch of the free streaming platforms, Tubi, Pluto TV, the Roku channel, the whole bunch. So definitely watch it. And it's only fucking 95 minutes. Delicious mm-hmm. runtime. Um, but before we get into some fun facts and the meat of this, you know, film, Alex, why don't you give our audience who maybe needs a refresher or doesn't want to sit down and watch the movie a brief plot synopsis? Yes. I tried to do, I was like practicing this and I was like, there's so many plot points that like you have to talk about before the next one for it to make sense. I was like, I can't go chronologically. So I'm just going to give an overarching plot because I know we're going to get deep into it anyway. Um, We are set in the 80s. It is around Christmas time. There is a comet that is going to pass by Earth that is going to be a once in a lifetime experience for people. The last time it happened was mysteriously when the dinosaurs uh, died. And some people seem to understand that connection, but most people are just excited to see the comet. Um, And once it passes overhead, if you were outside or exposed to the comet, you turned into dust and kind of just immediately evaporated. If you were inside, but yet got some of the effects from light, sound, fumes, whatever it was, and you were affected, you would slowly transform into this zombie-like creature until you did then eventually evaporate into dust um we do have some survivors who are main characters they are two sisters one who works in a movie theater which i love um and the other who was dealing with their stepmother's bullshit that night and they both survive and once they realize what is happening they try to find other people they encounter a man named hector who immediately becomes a love interest uh we also have a group of scientists who 
predicted what was going to happen and so kept themselves locked up in a bunker for safety and decide to then go look for survivors um, and their intentions are not necessarily what you think they are when they first begin their journey. Um, and it's essentially just everyone trying to survive and start a new life in the apocalypse, basically. And it's really funny. Yeah. yeah. That is Night of the Comet. So, ladies, for your pleasure, I have collected some BTS making of whatever the fuck you want to call it fun facts about Night of the Comet that I would like to share with you now. Um, to start, because it's a B-worm movie, this is... I mean, you can kind of tell when you watch it, but it is a low-budget movie. It was made for only uh, $700,000, and that low-budget did come into play um, a lot because they, you know, budgetary reasons, they couldn't do certain things, but also, like, for a lot of the takes, they could only do, like, one take or whatever, Mm -hmm. which I will get to. But a big component of that is both our lead actresses were actually soap opera actresses, um mm-hmm. so they had a lot of and i mean roberto as who is the honorary girl card before would know a lot about this and because of him i feel like me and abby definitely know this where it's like with soap operas you know because they're shooting one like one every day to put out every day or whatever like you don't have time to do multiple takes like it's mm-hmm. like if you flub a take like fuck you so these girls are very professional in the sense of like they only needed one or two takes which really really assisted with the low budget because they could get to emotional places much quicker because of the soap opera training. They only needed one take. So, I mean, I think all of that worked together to obviously make a film that we all loved very much. Um, in the vein of this being a feminist piece, I mean, it is um, written and directed by, um, his name is Thom Eberhardt. <laughs> it's definitely Tom. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think that's what we call a silent H. It's like, you're fucking stupid. Like, why put an H there? Um, no, no, I just, agree wholeheartedly. Now, watch us look it up and it's Thom. <laughs> Who's going to be laughing then? <laughs> um, anyways, he, um, he, lo- he wanted to merge the idea of having a strong female protagonist with his already existent love of post-apocalyptic films um, set in empty cities, which is exactly mm-hmm. what we got here. Um, it takes It's a mm-hmm. great Los Angeles film. I mean, the shots it gets of Los mm-hmm. Angeles, like the cinematography is beautiful. We'll get to all that. Um, but uh, he was inspired by Ginger Rogers, um, largely. Mm-hmm. Um, but for further inspiration, he actually had um, conversations with real-life teenage girls at the time. Um, well, he met, well, he would film, like, different, like, PBS specials. Um, and without telling the girls, like, anything about, like, the overall, like, concept for the movie or anything, he just asked them to describe how they would react in if to an apocalyptic event. Mm-hmm. Like, um... And he said that most of the girls saw the, that scenario as an exciting adventure <laughs> and only saw a downside to the experience when he brought up the subject of, like, dating. Like, oh, well, if everyone was gone, like, there'd be no boys to date. <laughs> um, which we will get into, which could have easily, I think, led to this being, like, girls are stupid. Uh, and it doesn't do that at all. I think it, like, genuinely sh- shows a realistic side to young teenage girls without mocking yeah. them. You can tell he did his research. Like, I, I'm very picky about men writing stories about women because I often feel like there's no understanding or empathy toward women and female experience. And when I watched this, I was like, oh, yeah, this guy, like, he knows teenage girls and he fucks with them. Like, he's cool with some, he's cool with some girly shit. Like, it, <laughs> it, it, felt, like it, it felt like there was respect for 
uh, uh, certainly an attempt to understand the true female experience or teenage yes. girl experience. And also like how hilarious is it that all the girls he interviewed were like excited about the adventure of post-apocalypse <laughs> because I do feel that that's very true to like a teenage girl in high school. Like you just want to get out of your stupid, boring life and like yes. you want something excited to happen and you're like open to anything um, as opposed to like being terrified. Yeah. I mean, I, you know. I, I was thinking about it when I read that and I was like, yeah, now, especially when we live post COVID, it's like the thought of it. It's like, that's fucking scary. Like, no, I don't want any of that. But then I think back, I'm like, really think back to like when you were like in high school and like, yeah, every night you're just in your bedroom, like sitting on your phone, you're so fucking bored, like nothing's going on in suburbia. And I'm like, I'm not gonna pretend like I didn't have fantasies about it like being the end of the world and I'm like of course like a beautiful scavenger and like um <laughs> fuck yeah um well you'd be giving Furiosa thank you so much um anywho the original title of the script was actually um Teenage Mutant Comet Zombies <laughs> that's a lot um, of those which there is a reference to because in the movie when younger sister Samantha is at the radio station and she's like playing around with like the disc, the, the DJ equipment or whatever, mm -hmm. she says she's taking requests from quote, all you teenage mutant comet zombies. Okay. So, you know, they paid a little homage to the OG name of the script. Um, Going back, though, to the low budget and Los Angeles, um, obviously, as I said, this film was shot in Los Angeles. Um, they Because low budget, so, so not like a big movie, especially in L.A., like, you know, they'll, sh they'll have the money to shut off streets for a certain amount of time during the day where it's like, you can't drive here. You know, well, yada, yada, yada. They don't have that kind of money for this movie. So these, like, the scenes, the beautiful scenes of, like, d empty streets in Los Angeles were filmed on in the morning on normal business days. Really? So, wow. Yeah. Um, they were done quickly, and the only way they accomplished them were, like, at traffic. Like, like they would, what does it say? Oh, they essentially they held up stoplights, but they could only hold them up, like, briefly. So it would be, like, hold the stoplight, like, get the shot, get the shot, get the shot, go. Like, they didn't, they couldn't yeah. block off streets or anything, which, for the, the, the vastness of those shots and how beautiful they are, like, that's insane. I wrote that down while I was watching it because I knew that obviously this is a B horror movie because of your podcast. And I literally wrote down, I was like, how the fuck did they get empty LA? Like I was literally. goggled because it looks really good. Like it looks creepy. It looks empty. I live here. I don't know what that it was like in the eighties, but like it's crowded. Yeah. Like you don't see a street with no cars. So it's very eerie to see that because it's just completely like, it's absurd to imagine like LA being empty of cars. Um, and that's like almost wow, like that's adds impressive. to the beauty of it yeah um like gorilla filmmaking so um kelly maroney who um is you know a little a little star in her own right she's also in chopping mall another b horror classic mm -hmm. um who plays samantha she actually improvised one of the most popular lines of the movie um which is the uzi line which i will refrain it's from saying out loud in case anybody has it as their line for the end of the thing but um because the weapons they were using essentially jammed um, while they were filming it. So if you remember the scene, like, they're shooting the cars, and there's moments mm -hmm. where she's like, oh, she's, like, annoyed, and she's, like, unjammed the gun. Um, essentially, once again, going into the low budget, they did not have time with these fucking guns they got because they were actually jamming to, like, oh, fuck the gun jammed again, cut. Like, we had to redo take. So he was like, listen, if something goes wrong with the gun in the scene, at, react to it in character. That's great. So, um, and then I was watching an interview with the two leads from, like, 
you know, years, years later, where they said, like, it wasn't fully improvised. Like, it wasn't, like, in the, like, no one knew she's going to say that. And she said it. It was like, what a line. Like, essentially, they had already been told, like, this shit's going to happen, blah, blah, and it had been jamming. So then, like, I think in the moment between the three of them, they improvised the line because then um, Regina has the line afterwards where she's like, the car couldn't tell the difference. Um, Yeah. But yeah, once again, another factor that, you know, creates this beautiful little Easter egg of a line because of the fact that they had no fucking money to be fucking around on the set. Um, Now, Regina, to speak on her for a minute, who is our lead, um, played by uh, Catherine Mary Stewart. Um, She did almost all of her own stunts in the movie. Wow. um, Other than riding the motorcycle through Los Angeles. Um, the shots, um, the long shots of the motorcycle were, were done with a stunt woman. And then all the close-ups um, were her, uh, Catherine Marie, Mary Stewart, but they put the motorcycle on a flatbed. So obviously it looks like she's moving, but okay. she is not. But you Those know, shots of her head, like of her face while on the motorcycle were so beautiful. I know. She's gorgeous. Like, oh, hair. it was the first thing I wrote down. It was the first thing that I wrote down. And let me tell you, I, went, I mean, oh my God, beautiful. Both girls are beautiful, and I, as I said, I was watching a, an interview with the two of them, like, now as, like, older women. Still fucking gorgeous. Holy shit. I was like, what is the secret? I'm Plastic surgery, maybe. Who knows? But um, gorgeous, gorgeous girls. Um, now, production designer, who was uh, John Muto, don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, um, he described that for inspiration for the movie, he used comic book sensibility for the film's overall look. Mm. Um the characters were all given like specific colors so the bad guys were usually in blues and grays and the sisters were always in brighter colors to reflect that they were our heroines um regina's colors were deeper than samantha's because regina was supposed to be reflected as being more intellectual while samantha was supposed to be like wackier um which is why like for example samantha's cheerleading outfit is like magenta and turquoise which love the cheerleading outfit as well um now, I can't remember who said this, but somebody that worked in the film essentially initially doubted that the film would have longevity, which is really mm. interesting and funny given the fact that it's kind of come back around to be cult. Because in 1986, um, it was said that, like, it's it's not going to be a cult movie at all. It's a fad movie is what this person referred to it as. Fad um, movie. Exactly, because – and the explanation was that it will date very quickly because it's about Valley Girls and it's about, you know, shopping at the mall and, like, in its own way about, like, the atomic bomb – um, so, you know, it's, it's not ahead of a time. They said it's not ahead of its time and it's not behind its time. It's just a combination of in elements, which mm. you watch it and you're like, yeah, it's definitely of the times. It's definitely very eighties and yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting that this person did not think it would have any longevity because I feel like more so than a handful of other eighties movies, I would protest it does. And I think, once again, it comes back to all those feminist elements and the way that it portrays its female characters gives it that longevity. But it's interesting that almost, like, the elements that it's, like, that were given to the movie as being the reason why it would not last mm-hmm. almost are the female elements of, like, the valley girlness of it. And, like, you know, the big, like, mall sequence, which is debatably one of the fucking best of the whole movie. Um, those are the reasons for me where I'm like, oh, I love this. This is great. I can't well, I think it- watch. It says something interesting about, like, them thinking that these themes wouldn't be themes that we would be interested in so many, many years later. Like, the fear of the atomic bomb, like, that hasn't actually gone away, really. Like, obviously, it's not as imminent, and, like, we're not in the Cold War, but I was thinking more about um, the rapture. I don't know if either of you were ever 
indoctrinated with rapture <laughs> education. But I was like, I, as a child, I imagined like waking up one day and having like everyone I love just have like poof disappear. Holy shit. So that's definitely what I thought about when I was watching this movie. And I was like, yeah, I mean, for certain people who like grew up like Christian or evangelical to any degree, that's like a fear that you have from like a young age. That's so scary. That, Holy shit. That hasn't gone away. Like that's still being taught to people. It's just, it, it all comes back, I think, to that idea that, I mean, we all as as women, um, female identifying individuals understand is just like, a lot of times, like I think of like, so for me, like bad things when I was growing up, like, let's say like a huge one, one Direction, right? Like every bitch under the fucking sun for the most part, like love One Direction, right? Like I was there, I experienced it front lines, Directioner. And I think there's that idea, especially it comes a lot of times from like men, older men a lot of time too, where it's like, the interests of girls, specifically teenage girls, are silly. So if there could be, like, the greatest artist on God's screen earth, you know what I'm saying? Like, like think of the Beatles. Mm-hmm. Like, the Beatles were such a huge sensation to to girls. And then, you know, all these years later, they're considered one of the greatest bands of all time. But, like, it had to go through that, that, metaphor, that metamorphosis first of, like, well, first, teenage girls. Because here's the thing. Teenage girls are what make things popular. Point blank fucking period. Think about it. Everything that gets huge and popular is because teenage girls become obsessed with it. So people shit on that. It's so interesting to me because it's like, well, that doesn't have value or that's a fad and that's going to pass where it's like, even if that one particular thing, one direction or whatever ends or they decide they don't like it anymore, like the, the overall like teenage girls being obsessed with things and like being of the moment and essentially deciding what is in and what is out will never go away. Whether you fucking like oh my it or God. not. So like I think about it all the time. Yeah. I mean, you see that like Taylor Swift is projected to become a billionaire and not even to speak on her and her merit or lack thereof, but like so many people hate her and think her music is bad. Meanwhile, she's the biggest artist in the world. Why is that? Because of teenage girls. That's mm-hmm. like the power of teenage girls, period, making the taste, being like some of the most important consumers in terms of like keeping this economy pumping (laughs) literally which is why it's so funny to me when people love to shit on it and it's like okay like without them y'all don't have shit and the thing is like even if the one specific like i just like truly have to believe there's some fucking pipeline somewhere where it's like no matter what the fuck you like you wouldn't know anything about it if it were not for some teenage girl somewhere because somewhere along the line somehow her liking fucking like justin bieber or some shit led to this person getting big and this person having a separate like dead ass i'm not even kidding like i truly believe that so like it's always funny to me when it's like 50 year old men that are like oh you little girls and like you little like boy and it's like and what about it and what about Look, Beyonce said it, and it was written into law. Who run the world? <laughs> Girls. And Amen. it is on the stones. You know what I mean? It, right. It's, <laughs> you know, <sighs> God breathed. Yeah. Um, to move on, um, Abby, uh, on top of the other reasons I stated why I thought, you know, you would like this movie and it would be a great select for you. I forgot about this, but when I remembered it, I was like, oh, yeah, I def- we definitely – me and Cornelia pointed that out the first time we watched. Um, Joss Whedon has cited this movie as a huge influence for the original script for Buffy, which yeah. when you look at it, it's like, oh, it's so obvious. And the fun fact that is, which I'm like, I'm not saying this is direct, but it's just very coincidental. The dog, the the girl's dog in the movie, which I don't remember if we ever see it, but there's a scene after like the next morning where like Samantha picks up a leash off the yeah. floor and it's like, yeah, dust. I know I remember. Um, the dog's name is Buffy. 
So it is just like so funny. Did he name Buffy the Vampire Slayer after the dust dog from Night of the Comet? Who knows? But it's very coincidental, if not, that you know Buffy was hugely inspired by something of this nature. It's so funny because I genuinely, you know, I'm I'm such a massive Buffy fan. I'm wearing a Buffy T-shirt right now. It's like the center of my universe, (laughs) and like invented me as a teenager when I watched it. I didn't think about it a single time while I was watching this movie. And I think that just goes to show that like the the elements of like teen silly valley girl actually being a badass and surviving in a perilous situation, that's just an amazing theme outside of Buffy itself. And like you could do that plot a hundred thousand times and it yeah. would always hit and it would always be awesome. And it totally makes sense that this was an inspiration for the creation of Buffy. Like that just tracks. Obviously there's like literally a blonde cheerleader girl, like fronting the film. And and, Um, and I think going off of that, it's a perfect example of once again, why it's so silly to me to discredit like the idea of like this, like like Valley girl being this like stock throwaway character, mm -hmm. which like, sure, if it's written by, you know, your stereotypical man, like it will be, but in general, like, I'm sure even real life of the time Valley Girls, like, they are so individual. Like, sure, they might have factors that are similar in the fact that, like, they embrace their femininity. They like to shop. But, like, as you said, like, Buffy is such a unique character even beyond that. Even if you take the fucking vampire slang out of it. Like, she's so unique in her own and different from these two girls where, like, yes, if you think about it, the obvious inspiration is there, but you didn't even think about that fucking Buffy the Vampire Slayer while watching because these two sisters are also uniquely their own fucking characters that also happen to be Valley Girls. And that's called good writing. Speak on it. Um, so, so good. The writing literally, like, I actually have to hold myself back from just being <laughs> like, fuck yeah, this movie was awesome. Because it just really got me excited because it was so good. Um, and then I just have... um more for us um quick one horror legend heather langenkamp actually auditioned to play the role of younger sister cheerleader samantha younger sister yeah i feel like i would have like pegged her for uh regina right um which apparently i think she was like heather langenkamp was top select but i don't know what happened and then she was just not selected but wow it's one of things where it's like maybe if Heather Langham had been selected I might have seen this movie sooner just because I'm a huge obviously nightmare fan and you know because of that she became I'm sure like a much more recognizable horror face but I'm very glad um with who did get the role because I think Kelly Maroney nailed it and she's a very lovable character and lastly no one's gonna give a fuck about this except me um which is that the waving clown statue that you first uh, that's in the first shot of the next morning with like desolate los angeles um is the same exact waving clown from peewee herman's peewee's big adventure in which he locks his bike to it and then it gets stolen and that is the catalyst for the rest of the film to come someone out there cares and i'm sharing for them yeah i noticed the clown and thought of it immediately and was like i wonder where this is in la and like if it's still there I don't know if it's still there, but... Um, Probably not. It was at one point, at least in the 80s, for filming reasons. Okay, so that's all the fun I have for you all. Fun. Um, and now, since we've gotten through everything else, it's time to get to the meat of the movie. Um, I guess a good place to start, because um, I already brought it up briefly somewhat, is um, the fact that it's shot in Los Angeles and the cinematography of this movie, which is insane. I mean... It's, it's fun, I think, as 
me and Abby can speak to the fact of living in Los Angeles, like seeing things like the, you know, the El Rey Theater uh, Mm -hmm. and like just like different things that you recognize as like being Los Angeles. I mean, but that comes with any movie shot in LA now. I feel that way. I'm like, I know that place. Um, But yeah, I mean, those, those, I I can't, even on the second viewing, I really couldn't get over the fact like truly how beautiful those shots are of Los Angeles, which is not a place particularly that I, at least, you know, downtown with the buildings, think is of as beautiful but I don't know something about this movie really had me thinking otherwise I was so um like moved by the you know beginning when the comet passes overhead and they have like the sky like the red sky Mm -hmm, and all the shots of LA like desolate but with the like bright red sky it it reminded me of uh fall 2020 when we had the fires like the really bad fires and it was like literally like yellow outside we didn't have it fully red where we were um but I know other places in California did but it looked really good and like I'm sure you know they they tinted that in post and I love to see like just old-fashioned ways of doing effects Mm -hmm. have to me like more they're just like more tangible than like today's like ultra hyper realistic Mm -hmm. cgi that like for me just takes a lot of like the magic out of cinema um and i wrote absolutely love the effects so cunt (laughs) (laughs) yeah that sky is so beautiful i feel like it gives it this like atmosphere where it feels like you're not even on earth anymore like you're in yeah on fucking mars or something because it's so desolate and the sky is so gorgeous and like i don't even know what time of day it is because of just that atmosphere has completely changed because of the comet it's gorgeous and yeah the fact that it was done on such a small budget i think about like uh like 28 days later where they shut down like the the bridge in london where like big ben is and how i know that that cost like so much money and it was like a crazy thing to do and it's like the iconic shot of the film but like it's just like one scene and then that's it and this happened so many times and the fact that they were able to get that like i didn't even think about it like I want to go back and rewatch and really appreciate how empty the space is. It just like makes you feel so small. It's great. I mean, yeah, going back to what both of you said, like kind of Abby's talking about like, you know, the effects and how they used to do them mm-hmm. and they feel more tangible. And of what you were saying, Alex, there's something about it that I'll speak specifically to this movie. It feels like a surreal painting. Yeah. Um, which obviously adds mm. to the beauty of looking at it, but I think also the surrealism of it, like, you know, seeing Los Angeles with those colors and no cars and mm. no people adds to the, the, I think, emotional overall effect of the film, which is just like, sure, it, it's fun. These girls are like silly and blah, blah, but there's real emotional stakes to it. Uh, it uh, literally as you know, Abby's talking about like the rapture and so fucking scary. Like if you woke up and everyone was fucking gone, dust and fucking shirts in the street, like, I think a word that would come to mind would be surreal. So I think having that surreal imagery that works so well because it's LA, like really adds to like this surreal idea of like Comet comes through in one night and fucking pretty much vaporizes everybody and you're what's left of humanity. Like it's, yeah. it's crazy and it works so well. Um, but um, to speak on beauty, some other beauty in the film, as we mm-hmm. talked about, are obviously our two leads, um, Regina and Samantha sisters. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think obviously that's a good jumping point to just talk about the sisters and their relationship to each other. And obviously, as we talked about already, 
the feminist overtones and layering and storylines and everything of this movie that worked so well. I mean, to, to start off, to make the first point, and then everyone else, jump in where you want. Um, we open up when we meet Regina, looking obviously like a fucking goddess, but she's working in a movie theater, like playing like an asteroids, like, you know, space invaders type game. Um, and then subsequently, like one of the first scenes of her is her like choosing to like stay after closing to have sex with the projectionist who is not really her boyfriend. And it, it didn't really come across to me like he was using her at all. It's just like a guy she likes that she's hooking up with. Yeah. And she's our final girl, which I feel like obviously a lot of times as we know, even today, but especially back in the eighties, like to be a final girl, like, you know, at least the idea that was perpetuated, although there is proof against it in even eighties films, like you can't have sex, you can't blah, blah, blah. So to see this like kind of like badass beauty, who's just like got a part-time job working at the movie theater. She loves video games. She has to have the top score. So like already we're getting personality to her, like the kind of person she is, like she's very competitive. Like she needs to be number one. Um, and she she's having casual sex like as a teenage girl and it's not played in any way where it's like uh oh girly like that's gonna fuck you over it literally mm-hmm. saves her because she stays the night behind the steel walls of the projection room and they tell you later on that steel is like the only thing that could have stopped like the rays of the asteroid and i just thought that was such an excellent way to segue into a movie with such strong female leads yeah, I noticed that too. That was like one of the, obviously it's like one of the first things that happens in the movie. It's like pretty much the opening. And I was like, okay, like sick. Like this is really starting out with somebody who's sexually empowered. And I was reading that on the letterbox reviews too. People were like, oh my God, like these girls are like, they're comfortable with their sexuality. And I was like, yeah, like that is something that you didn't see a lot at that time. And even today, like you don't see it in this way. Like you will see final girls have sex, but it's typically like, either a romance or it's like a situation like in scream where she has sex with the guy and then he betrays her Mm -hmm. and he's the killer and that kind of like to add tension to that plot yeah but instead this just kind of added insight into her character which i appreciated yeah it was like it wasn't exploitative in any way like you don't see anything it wasn't used as an excuse to like show some titties or something like it's just a plot point to get her because she is safe in the steel cage she is having casual sex with this guy that she likes and it's kind of just a plot point and then they move on and it doesn't really come up again like she's obviously with her sister and her sister's like so competitive and jealous of her because she gets all the guys and all the guys that samantha wants you know regina can pull if she wants them but like it's it's always like in a positive way of like men fall at Regina's feet. She's so empowered. She's so strong and beautiful. And I feel like that, you know, gives a lot of like in insight into their relationship because I think Samantha is like so jealous of that and like covets that and wants that for herself. Um, which I feel like is so realistic with sisters. Like there's mm-hmm. always one sister that is jealous of the other and makes things competitive when they're not competitive at all but like they think it is. I appreciate that like women set the tone for like this whole movie mm-hmm. um, and the male characters are really just there to serve the female characters yeah. plot progression. But like even the opening is, you know, their dad is kind of like an, is kind of like absentee mm-hmm. and they're being raised by their wicked stepmother, Doris. 
who's also a baddie, but then you find out she's like a major baddie in the sense that she uh, socks Sam in the face. And I was like, she's like, Samantha is at home. Her stepmom is throwing this comet party and also simultaneously having an affair with Chuck. (laughs) And Samantha calls her out on the affair with Chuck and she hits her in the face, like so fucking hard that she like flies across the room. I was like, holy shit. First of all, like way to get us like stoked for this woman's disintegration that's happening in like two minutes. (laughs) Um, But also like to give us a female hero and a female villain from like the first scene. Mm. Um, And then obviously she disintegrates during the comet, but Samantha survives because she runs away and sleeps in like the storage shed that's like made of steel. I wasn't Mm -hmm. 100% sure what that was, but um. And then later they introduce another female character who's the scientist in the uh, underground bunker. And that was like the part that had me like most like jotting down notes, like, wait, what the fuck is going on? Because you have this mysterious, like maybe government organization that knew the comet was coming. So they barricaded themselves into this bunker, but they left the vents open, which means they were quote unquote partially exposed which means slowly over time, they are gonna like become the zombies. And the men in the bunker are like, we're gonna go out and and, like retrieve survivors and like bring them here. And the woman who I think is her name tag says white, she's like Dr. White or something. She's so against them bringing people back to the bunker. She's like, I don't think we should do that. Like, what's the point? Like, it's why would we go out there? Like, why would we risk exposure, blah, blah, blah. And I'm in my notebook, like, what the fuck is this bitch's problem? Like, she's so mm-hmm. against saving people's yeah. lives. The whole time, I'm like, okay, like, hater. Like, there's people out there that need saving. You don't want to save them. Like, so just, like, pissed at this character. But also, like, <laughs> but also, like fascinated by, like, oh, there's, like, this kind of evil, selfish scientist character. Did not see the twist coming, mm-hmm. which, can I speak Maybe. on it? Yeah, go of for course. It. So, like, she gets sent out to bring these teenage girls back to the bunker because they the girls are smart and they use the radio to like try and find other survivors the scientists here they go to rescue the girls and she sees the two girls and like being goofy this is like after they get rescued from these guys in the mall these like soon to be zombie guys in the mall that are out to kill them they get rescued by the scientist and the female scientist is like, well, that one we obviously don't need. Um, she's obviously been exposed, pointing to Sam. And I'm like, how the fuck would you know she'd been exposed just because she's like a little bit goofy? <laughs> Didn't make- Side effects are being silly goofy. Separates the two girls, which that had me confused because I was like, there's no fucking way that two sisters would like agree to be yeah. separated in this situation. like." it's the end of the world they've been surviving together and now all of a sudden this like mysterious government organization wants to take only one of them but then you find out that the excuse that she uses is like well one of you should wait here while we wait for Hector to come back Hector being like Regina's love interest like the one surviving man that they met and of course we already know about this jealousy between Sam and Reggie and Sam is like oh my God, like, thanks for giving me like a chance to be alone with Hector because like, you know, I'd love to have like a moment with him because he's like a cute guy and maybe one of the only ones left alive. Then the woman who we all think is a villain, this like villain scientist, 
basically tricks Sam into like, I'm giving you medicine and injects her with something. And then she seemingly dies. And I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah, me too. First of all, like killing one of our heroines. <laughs> I was pissed. I was like, this is such an uneventful death. She's dying by injection and Reggie's not even there. So we don't get that like sister moment of like one of them dying. Um, and I'm pissed at this lady. I'm like, what? why would you need to kill her? Like, it just doesn't make any fucking sense. And then finally, Reggie's like, I, I, oh, you're, you're shocked because I didn't get it. You're like no, laughing just, at me I because I didn't so put it together. You're like, and then you guys, you won't believe what happened. Cool, because I, I was like, truly, I was fucking like, I was in it. I was in this fucking movie. Like I, I was you. really there for these girls. I'm upset because I have sisters. I'm like, what the fuck? Like, first of all, I would never be separated from my sister in this situation. Second of all, like the way I would go feral and start just like killing bitches and like eating their flesh if they fucking fucked with my <laughs> sisters. Like I was just like, <laughs> I would become a zombie out of just pure rage. No exposure right? needed. So, Literally. Exactly. <laughs> so we cut back to Reggie and at this point, I'm like, okay, these bunker scientists are like, they're bad. And you can see that some of them are already starting to turn into zombies. But you realize that the reason they were bringing people back to the bunker is to harvest their blood to create serums for themselves. So this woman that was so against, quote unquote, rescuing people actually was just like, I don't want to go and take these survivors and harvest their blood so that we can survive. So she was a hero the whole time and on the side of of our surviving girlies and you know we have the climax of the movie reggie escapes from the bunker with the help of hector who's silly and goofy um and then you realize that sam wasn't dead and that the woman injected her with just like something to make her pass out and appear dead Thank which God. was a very exciting moment for me and i did like a, a little bit before that happened i was like they have to bring her back to life like she can't be dead that would be that would not work but all of this is to say, loved that they had the <laughs> ambiguous female character where you're not sure if she's good or evil. And like you spend the whole time thinking that she's, you know, the villain. And then you find out at the end that she's a hero. She's just in a difficult situation and, and has to trick these other scientists in order to like keep these girls safe. Yeah, I went on the same journey as you. Um, I would say same highs and lows that you had. Yeah. <laughs> because, I, and Greg tricked me too, because like she injected her and seemingly died. And I was like, she's dead. And he was like, yeah, that's it. And I was like, fuck off, Greg, when she came back because he was just tricking me. But yeah, I was so frustrated with that character the whole time. I was like, why is she being so mean? Why does she not want to go help people? Like all these stupid idiot men want to go find survivors and help them and why is she the one who's being selfish i was so irritated and then yeah when she killed her and i was like she just gets rashes she's just this nervous person who gets rashes it's not like an effect of the comet and i had that whole thing of like oh my god she killed her for no reason because i don't think she was actually affected and that was like an added level of trauma where it's like you didn't even have to kill her she would have been fine but yeah that big reveal when she shoots that guy and then injects herself when hector returns because she knows that, you know, the end is coming for her and she doesn't want to be a part of because it. Because she, the scientist has been exposed. Yes. It, was, yeah. it really, I just really appreciated how in it I was and how surprised I was by the twist. Because I'm pretty cynical about movie twists. And a lot of the time too, when you watch like an old, like 80s B-horror 
it can be predictable and you can like know what's going to happen before it happens. And I don't know what sauce this movie had in it, but I truly was just like there beat for beat with the characters. I was surprised by the twist. Mm -hmm. I thought it was an effective script. Like obviously it's a hilarious and there's a lot of really good one-liners, but even just the story itself, like it had me on the edge of my seat. On Mary Warrenoff for a minute, who is the female scientist, because to I, because I agree with everything that's being said. Um, she is an actress that tends to play, especially in 80s movies, villains. I mean, oh. she's, I mean, even in how she was even in Ty West House of the Devil, she is the wife oh. um, okay. of the uh, and owner of house. So of they the use devil. the typecast against it. But yeah, I mean, I, the most recent thing I had seen, I think prior to this was i watched um rock and roll high school um with pj souls as the lead in which she plays like the evil principal that like fucking hates rock and roll or whatever so when she showed up um i was like oh villain ass bitch and then of course i mean yeah the first time i watched it i went on the same journey and i think that that really attributes to the the excellent writing that's taking place Mm -hmm. here because they twick they trick they twick you got it they twick us they twicked me um they trick you obviously it worked for all three of us watching it at different times in different places, different people. Um, and it works so well. And I think, you know, even beyond like, Oh, like, you know, typecasting her to be a villain and blah, blah, like even the information they give you throughout the bunker, like you're like, okay, well like I, you, you, you use your own assumptions at the start, like a yeah. place like this would probably mm-hmm. want to help survivors. So she's the bad guy. Cause she doesn't want to bring people back. But then the whole time you're like, but what do they do when they bring them back? Like, where are they putting them? Like, they have a plan. And, like, they, they don't give you the information. You just, like, are, like, following. But, of course, your gears are turning. And then they really nail it home with, yeah, like, the fake killing where you're like, what the fuck? I'm going to kill this bitch. Um, but I think to bring it all back to the feminism of it all, it's really interesting. I mean, let's not say that all the female characters in the movie are good because obviously the stepmother was a bitch and evil and, like, you know, punches her fucking stepdaughter. And there's even a few, like, I don't know if they're doctors, nurses, scientists, whatever they be called, in the facility that are the ones that are, like, doing the injections. Which, that was so fucking scary. Like, because I forgot. It was scary. Because they, they make them scary and dead. comedy. Yeah, because, like, yeah. that's the thing. It's, like, they don't just, like, kill them or they don't change them into zombies. It's, like, no, no, we're going to give you an injection and you're going to be brain dead forever. We're just going to harvest your blood. That blood. That's fucking gross and nasty. Yeah. But all this so... And, and they're like, doing it to kids. It's important to note, too, that they but, rescue two children yeah. that they're intending to harvest the blood of. Well, and these nurses are like nonchalant, like kind of sassy and funny I about love it, which working is with terrifying. <laughs> I love just like an evil nurse. Um, an evil nurse is a good element. I mean, there's it's so real sometimes, girl. Um, but so them aside, I also have main female characters. Um, it's interesting to me, and I'm a fan of it, that it's like, okay, give us post-humanity, like we're giving post-apocalyptic whatever, mm-hmm. when, you know, what we understood of humanity is gone. And the people that are the ones with the kind of like the only humanity left are the girls. Like you think of the two sisters. I mean, in a scene, even if like beyond like, oh, being good people, helping people, whatever, like just like that scene in the mall, which is my favorite scene in the whole movie with the montage, girls just want to have fun. The girls are like, we're going to go shopping, blah, blah, blah. And it's so cute. And it's just, and it's just like, sure. It can, it's, it's, I'm sure to a certain degree, it's meant to be funny, meant to be silly, blah, blah, blah. But it like, it's real to me as well as a viewer where I was like, yeah, if I imagine it was the end of the world, like, what are you going to do? We can't fucking do anything. I don't know what the fuck is going on. I literally wrote that down. I wrote, the mall scene is essential and necessary and also exactly what I would do in their situation. No, literally, but like, if it was, it was like, no, I would literally like, 
you know what? Fuck it. Like, who, it doesn't matter. Nothing matters. Like, let's just have one semblance of, like, having fun again, feeling like just teenage girls again, because clearly, like, that's going to have to fade away really quick because it's the end of the world. Like, so, like, showing humanity there. And then, like, yeah, like, having your villainous character, like, her really being the only one with humanity left because all these other male, like, head scientists who are, who are the ones presumably making all the decisions are like, fuck that. We got to save ourselves. So we're going to fucking make children mm-hmm. catatonic, harvest their blood, like, anyone we can get our hands on. She's the only one that's like, except that we did something dumb. Like, we left the vent open. We got sick. Like, we don't, like, who are we to then take the lives of other people? Like, once again, only one showing any semblance of, like, humanity Mm post-apocalypse, which I think, once again, adds to the feminist tone of it. And I I really appreciate because, like, it's the same argument happens all the time when, like, men are always like, you know, a woman could never be president because she's so emotional, blah, 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 where it's like, truly, bitch, the proof is in the pudding. In the high crisis situations we've been through thus far and men have been presidents, how well has it gone? Be honest. Where it's like, I'm not saying automatically putting a woman in that position, you know, would make everything better. But it's just like, it's just interesting to me with no proof that you think that women can't run shit or whatever. When like, I feel like tests that have been done or, you know, scenarios or whatever, it's always just like the girls that are the ones getting their shit together and making shit work and like being kind where it's like men are the ones ruining everything. Just to well, You know, I just watched that actress roundtable hollywood reporter interview where jennifer lawrence mentions working with brian singer and everyone laughs um i have my like favorite line picked out but can i like talk about some runner-up lines that i wrote down that were just like really funny um we can do all that oh no wait what if what if you picked one of them Yes. Well, yeah, also, we any also runner-ups you have, million. you can. We will share yeah. in the Q and Slay. Um, good because I literally wrote. Because girl, I wrote so much down, <laughs> and reading the notes is really funny because my notes are like, "Why is this happening? I don't understand." Like, <laughs> like really just interacting. Why the fuck did they kill her? Like, I was so confused. Why is this woman opposed to taking people back? And then writing down later, like. Oh my god, she's not dead. They just saved the movie. <laughs> I love like, the play by play notes. Oh my god, I was in my diary, like she interacting with it like it was happening. Yeah, literally to me. live yeah, tweeting <laughs> night of the comet. Yeah. Um, um something else that I think we should talk about, which all this brings back to the feminist of it all. I know I sound like a fucking broken record, but um obviously there is a romantic element to the movie with Hector. Um which Hector himself, no tear shade to Hector, like he's great. But he's not even what's important to me about that. What was important to me, and obviously, like, I would love to hear your guys' thoughts and opinions, is there's specifically a scene after the girls have shot um, what should have been Uzis from Daddy at a car, I guess, to practice, you know, warm up that muscle in case they need it. They, like, go to, like, the roof of, like, a building. And they're talking. And Hector gets brought up because Samantha's like, did you make it with him last night? Blah, blah. And I have to say, I what a weird euphemism for how many times they said make it. I was like, I need to stand. That that's dated. That didn't. It it is dated. I wrote it down too. I was like making it. I've heard that euphemism before. It's fucking weird. I don't like it. It's making what? Yeah. Making Um, that. Lord have mercy. Um. But what I appreciated, and once again, it comes back to like, obviously, as I said, like the director, like obviously talks to girls, you know, of the times, and they were there was a concern with dating and blah blah blah. Mm -hmm. And to a certain degree, it is meant to be like 
I think just observationally humorous of just like, yeah, like in that situation, isn't it funny to think that like young girls would be like worried about like, who am I going to date? But I also think it's real. Like when, if something like that happened, so catastrophic, like your brain, there's no fucking way immediately your brain would be like, let's go. We're, and you would forget everything of the old world. You know what I'm saying? Like you would be like, okay, like we got to figure something out. But like, you'd still be thinking about things like, oh, like what if I never get married now? Like what if I can never like own a dog? Like you would think about that shit, even though it seems silly in the grand scheme of things. Like, so mm-hmm. I appreciated that, but I appreciated that these sisters had this moment of like, sure, there was a little animosity because like Samantha's like annoyed. She's like, you always get everybody you want. Um, but it was real and it, it didn't feel like, overtly like ultimately like this is just a big gag scene played for laughs like it felt like once again like this human moment between these girls where it's just like it's at the end of the world and like now I'm worried that like on top of the fact that like I was always like looked up to you and like felt like I could never get anybody over you well now there's not even any fucking options other than possibly Hector and you're gonna get him too and so yes it's funny in that sense but I think it's really real and it's really sweet because of course like she's like they then they laugh they start laughing because they Mm -hmm. think they both realize like what a ridiculous fight to be having given the grand scheme yeah. of things. But like, it was such also a like cute... my feelings are valid. Like that's the thing. It's like it validates those feelings while also recognizing that like they are a little silly. It was a cute human moment between two sisters that felt genuinely authentic. And like, yeah, if there was one man left alive and like me and one of my sisters, like we'd row. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I would be, I'd be throwing down. Like, I, you know, there's only one left. <laughs> you know, like, and he has to want me. <laughs> yeah, like come on, like it's I have to have something to entertain me. And this, find someone. I think there's a billion people yeah. around. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, it was so cute, and I, I it gave me the relationship between the two yeah. girls that felt really authentic because they love each other so much, but they also fight like normal sisters. Yes, yeah, and, and I like that like, established a history between them too of like this is our dynamic. You always get the guy. I'm like secretly so jealous of you. And I, th- I love that she also is like, there was a new guy at school and I like my friend said he was going to ask me out. And it's just like this realization of like what could have been and I what know. you now he's might not dead. have now. You're like, I almost got one. Yeah. I'm like hook, line and sinker so close. And then now he's done. Mm-hmm. It's-, it's a good example of like, I, you think about like kind of dated things like the, um, the Bechdel test, is that what it's mm-hmm. called? Yeah. Yeah. Where, you know, you want to see a movie where two women have a conversation that's not about boys, which obviously happens in this movie. They yeah. talk about plenty of other things, but they still do talk about boys and they still do have that like teenage girl, boy crazy element that could be played in a degrading, like stereotypical valley girl, boy crazy way. But instead it is played in a very like authentic Mm-hmm. yes these are teenage girls and yes this is like something that they would care about but it's not the only thing they care about it's Absolutely. an element and it's an element of them like keeping that tie to real life because literally the world ended yeah. like less than 24 hours ago so it's like Anya said you don't immediately snap into like zombie land survival mode like I don't care about anything I cared about yesterday mm-hmm. like your brain can adjust that quickly so of course they would still be like thinking about a high school type of woes Absolutely. And it's so funny you bring up Zombieland because that was actually a movie I thought about the first time I watched this where I was like, not like, obviously, sure, there's like inspiration to come, you know, from Buffy, but I'm like, this really, because we've been talking about a lot, like, you know, 
it, it really set the tone for a lot of horror comedies to come. I specifically think of things like Zombieland, where it is just like, sure, there's easy things to point to, like the desolate landscape and like there's humor. But like, even just think of like Emma Stone and her sister, like there's a sister pair. Like there is one that's like the older sister that's like seemingly a little more badass, but like their their whole plight, the whole movie, the thing they're trying to do is like go to like wherever the fuck that goddamn amusement, like, whatever the amusement park is, like Funland, let's, let's call it. Like that's what they're trying to get to, which of course seems like a silly thing, but at the bottom, like when you look at the core, of it it's like this sweet thing where it's like well that's the only shred of humanity that like my little sister's gonna have left like being able to experience going to an amusement park in a world that's like no humanity is left and like i think things like night of the comet set the tone for that doing things like these two sisters being like fighting over the last boy on earth when it's like sure and if you look at it just on surface level what a silly stupid thing but when you really think about it it's like yeah what else are you gonna talk yeah. about like when everything else is stripped away like yeah i gotta hold on to something yeah. Like I know, like I can guarantee you, if Bridget and I were in a fucking post-positive situation and there was yeah. a hot guy, oh, first minute we're alone. It Hector would wasn't be even like, very hot. Yeah, but he was girl, just a guy. Know, yeah, he, he really was just a man. They were like, um, he's just a guy. Even they said it. They're like, he's not really like that interesting. But but um, and I appreciate that Hector, like he's not a non-character, but yeah, he's definitely never the center of the plot. And mm-hmm. what I appreciate is like. He's not either, he's not on like huge end of the spectrum. Like, he's not like this like huge macho douche that they have to put in his place. He doesn't do that. But he's also not like this, like, yes, madam, like, or yes, master, like falling at their knees, like worshiping them. Like, they are very much equals from the meeting. He doesn't really like treat them like stupid women. It's kind of like, this is a situation we're in, guys, and we're in it together now. Let's go. It's a well written character because he is a little like rude to Reggie at first. Uh, like I wrote down when she's in the bathroom, like having a, an emotional moment because she realizes the guy that she had sex with the night before died via zombie attack. She's having her moment and he like is trying to talk to her through the bathroom door and he's like, this isn't a time for you to have an attitude problem. I was like, what the fuck? But he's, he very quickly you're able to see that he is more than one thing as a character and they do give him his moment where he goes down to San Diego. Mm-hmm. Like that's why him and the girls get separated is he wants to go and see if any of his family survived. And the scene where he's in his like mom's house, like looking for his mom and realizing that like everybody's gone and takes a bag and like fills it with family pictures. You instantly, you get a sense of like, this is like a family guy. He doesn't see his family a lot because he's a truck driver. Yeah. And he loves them. He gets attacked by a zombie kid and like doesn't want to kill the kid because he likes children, which they establish like early and then that comes back at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, but he grew on me. He was somebody where instantly I was like, oh, fuck this guy, like I hate men. And then by the end, you're yeah. like, oh, he's a sweet, he's like a sweet guy and he respects these girls. And I did, I did end up rooting for him and Reggie by the end, even though it wasn't like such an overdone romance. No it it still got my investment it goes to show what sweetness and a cowboy hat will do for a man because let me tell you when he came back i shit you not bro when he showed up i was like yeah just a man like i don't have a crush like whatever he whatever blah, 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 they come back he's like kind of saving them from the facility or like whatever and he has that motherfucking cowboy hat on mm-hmm. oh bitch, he comes I back. I, I, well it's fun because he shows up at the radio station after going to san diego to rescue the girls dressed as Santa Claus, like clearly trying to like cheer them up, finds that the girls aren't there. And then, you know, gets this information from this dying scientist woman, 
goes to rescue the girls from the facility and all of a sudden has a new car. He's got like a convertible and he's dressed like a cowboy and doing a cowboy accent. Yeah. It was what I needed. I'm like, yes, dance for me, boy. Like, <laughs> entertain me, Go- be goofy. Like, it was cute. It was a funny, good comic relief. And also, it was nice to see, like, he clearly was trying to cheer these girls up um, because it was Christmas and they just lost everything. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, he was 100 times hotter when he put on the cowboy hat and did the accent. Yeah, when he was doing that bit, I was like, oh, I know this, like, killed Anya. No, <laughs> don't read me like that, girl. Um, I knew. <laughs> I am who I am, okay? And you think when I give the fucking bare-ass blueprint, someone would get it right by now. But here I am. Anyways, um, to talk about, though, you know, having fun, one of the big moments in the movie I brought up previously, but it is a big moment in the movie, is mm-hmm. the mall montage. The sisters have been left alone. We're going to have fun in the montage. I mean, the montage in itself, they're in a big-ass 80s department store. I believe the exact mall that it is in, let me pull it up here, is the Sherman Oaks Galleria. And Christ Almighty, when you see a beautiful 80s mall like that, you really remember we used to be a proper fucking country. Holy shit. (laughs) Lord. Um, But yeah, they're in this beautiful department store, like, trying on dresses. Girls just want to have fun. It's playing. It's so cute and i am such a sucker for a montage and as i said already like the the greater implications of like having a somebody community blah, blah blah but then of course it can't just be all fun because watching over the security cameras are who used to be i think they said like they were like stock boys, boys. yeah, yeah or like, and that makes sense because they were like in the basement yeah. stock room when the comet happened which is why they survived and then you don't realize until a little bit into the fight that they're like progressing toward becoming zombies yeah yeah you're so like, like, oh he has his cool glasses on because he's a bad boy yeah because I'm like sure at first you just think that they're the room, it was probably the same thing as a scientist where you work in a steel facility but you have the vents on and yeah, so like exactly. you got in but yeah i mean they're watching the girls and then yada 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 it becomes this huge kind of firefight where they're like you're trying to steal from us because their whole thing is like we used to work in the basement and now because everyone else is gone we own the store and you're trying to steal from us which once again goes into what i was saying before about like the women in these situations are like, I'm just trying to stay with my sister. I'm just trying to like not be a bad guy. I'm not trying to fuck up every other living person left. Like, aren't we all through enough? Meanwhile, the men are like, I was poisoned. Give me your blood. Or like, this is my department store now, bitch. You got to pay me for well, that. Like, okay. it's such I like, weird behavior. I liked the little moment. I mean, at first I was just like, oh, these are just psychopaths who managed to survive and now they want to have fun by having a killing spree but then you find out that they're like progressing toward being zombies so it makes more sense but the moment where he's like you know we believed in the american dream and that if we worked really hard that we would make it one day and look what's happened the owners of the store everyone is dead and now we own the store and it just i don't know it was this like fun little moment of like just like touching on you know trickle down economics a real anti-capitalist moment in the movie you know i really respond to that to those themes fuck the system and um the fight sequence is so great because the women hold their own so fucking well they there's a one moment where she has them and like in her sights and i'm like pull that trigger bitch but she didn't and like she could have blown their heads off but you know she continues and i appreciate that they I, I appreciate that they mentioned that, like, their father was in the military and he, he gave was the military training. Yeah. Yeah. Just to give you that uh, touchstone for why they would know how to handle weapons. Either, yeah. Otherwise, it would have made no sense. And how they knew how to, like, where to go to steal weapons, too, because they knew where this 
uh, army base was. And it is kind of brilliant when you think about it, going back to the writing again, because it's like, it, it, him being Green Beret and the things they talk about when they, because there is like, I think maybe a conversation with Hector, with uh, Reggie talking to him about it, um, where you're like, okay, so that explains like why they know how to use guns and blah, blah. But like, also it comes back to the relationship with each other because they're talking about like, you know, he, he that was like his only relationship with us, it seemed like. Was, right. He wanted sons. Was like teaching us, you know, whatever. And because when he got to a certain age where he had to really accept like, I don't have sons, that's kind of when he had like, for lack of a better putting it, like no use for us anymore. So he like ships off to go back doing whatever. Searching and for us, a war. Yeah, and leaves us with that. evil stepmom um, who obviously doesn't like us. Um, so they only had each other. So they had to cling to each other. So the closest of the relationship even makes makes even more sense. So you have that at factor of like, sure, you're getting the absent father, which works in that sense, but also being smart enough to work in like, but he, it wasn't like, you know, day they were born, he was gone. Like he, you know, wanted sons. So he like trained them in this way and then blah, blah. Like, I just think it's so well written. And even in those scenes, it never feels like, overly like expository like it makes sense mm-hmm. she doesn't know hector they're in this moment of vulnerability like you want to share with somebody you want to like be like this is our situation so she mm-hmm. tells him and we're hearing it as an audience it's just like once again like it's just like not it's simple but also like so often not seen in writing i mean mm-hmm. as someone that wants to write movies for a living like i feel like i'm i i pay attention to shit where it's just like you gotta get exposition in movies like you need to have it to a certain degree but like some people just cannot do it. Either they just don't put it at all and the movie makes no fucking sense or they like hit you over the fucking head with it where you're like, do you think I am fucking moronic? Where it's like, this is just so simple. Like make it make sense within the context of what we're seeing. Tell us the information. They really cover their bases in terms of giving all of the main characters at least some element of backstory to humanize them. Mm -hmm. And also they don't have that so cringe-inducing moment where like the bad guy just like, exposes their whole plan and is like this is what i was up to all along mm-hmm. instead like they show don't tell in terms of like the scientist's evil plan um it, it was it was just artful writing and definitely something to like learn from and like study in terms of just like hitting all those beats and it was also a choice to make it like technically it's a zombie movie it's a post-apocalypse movie but the priority is on the character's relationship yes. and the character mm-hmm. development like it's very much about these two girls more than it is about a zombie apocalypse which is a choice they don't have to do that you know they don't have to make it so centered on these relationships but that was obviously like where they wanted to go with the story and that kind of writing appeals to me one thing i'll say last thing before we get into everybody's favorite q and slay um is something and i think that not that like i'm so unique whatever but like something that i was thinking about a lot when i was watching this is um because it reminded me in ways i'm sure obvious ways and it's already on my mind is the last of us um which obviously everybody fucking knows i'm excited for Mm-hmm. I will be insufferable from January. What? Yeah, what do you mean I'm from never... January? From January. Girl, no, from, from three months ago. <laughs> okay, anyways. Um, I'll say, not even anything specific about it, it was like, that reminded me of Last of Us. But while I was watching the movie, I was like, honestly, I would love, and we got to a certain degree recently when they were like, we're going to make a Killer Clowns from Outer Space video game, mm-hmm. which I don't, I've not played that yet or watched any playthroughs, so I don't know if there's even like a story like element to the game or if it is just kind of like Friday the 13th the game where it's just like you get in a lobby anyways I was like I would love for somebody to make a video game of Night of the Comet 
in which it is a story game. And I think of The Last of Us because that worked so fucking well. Mm-hmm. And it makes sense. And there is, like, elements where, like, there would be fighting. There would be components where you're playing the game. But there would also be cutscenes for story. Where, like, it wouldn't have to – I don't even need it to be, like, exactly, like, these two characters. But, like, yeah, a story about these two teenage sisters, like, waking up and the apocalypse has happened. And, like, they have to survive it and, like, fight, like, the remaining zombies or, like, just, like, the remaining humans. Which is now, I feel like, the case with a lot of these zombie things are, like, the real bad guys are the humans that yeah. are left. Which is probably would be the reality, honestly. Um, but, yeah, the whole time I was watching, I was like, damn, I wish this was a fucking video game. You know, as long as I would get to design my avatar like a sim, oh, and, you yeah. know, give her a little mullet and, you uh, know, a black trench coat. Wait, that's actually genius because as, you know, hot girlies, we all look to play games where you get to, like, design a cute little bitch. So, like, because yeah. it would be, like, obviously a feminist story game, like, there would have to be a component where it's, like, you get to design your teenage girl. We need a zombie apocalypse story game with a dress-up doll element. <laughs> literally but that's what the movie is so you need it yeah yeah it has both elements yeah so we're going right into the q and slay all right y'all so as per usual we've got our set questions and everyone will be presenting their own original question which i'm very excited to see what y'all gals have come up with um would anyone like to start with the original question no no no. we do those last um okay i will start i will start so Um, I'll start with you, Alex. Okay. What is your favorite kill or practical effect in that realm, moment, element, whatever, of Night of the Comet? Okay. Well, it's not really a lot of, like, kills, per se, because most of the people who die are just dusted. Um, But I will say my favorite is just the makeup that they put when they are transitioning from human into zombie. Like, when the doctor at the end takes his sunglasses off and reveals his eyes, and similarly the guy at the mall when he does that, how sunken in and like, yeah. like it it looks human, but it's so it's slightly off, and you're like, mm, it's it's just like terrifying makeup. Their eyes are really creepy. It's not quite zombie, but it's like scary enough that I'm like, there's something seriously wrong with you, dude. I love it. I yeah. think their makeup is great. It kind of reminds me of Ginger Dead Man when he becomes like the Deadite guy. Near the end. Yeah, I mean, I was the same. Reminds me of Evil Dead with the dead eggs. Yeah, yeah, just that in general. Love it, Abigail. What stands out to me when you ask that question is the initial fight scene when uh, Reggie is leaving the movie theater mm. after mm. you know she wakes up, her guy that she's sleeping with has disappeared, and she gets attacked by a zombie and has that initial fight scene. And we get to see that she like can hold her own. And she even says that she's like, I know how to protect myself. Um, it just sets a really good tone. And it gives us that moment of just her having a one-on-one Buffy-esque fight, oh, yeah. except she doesn't have superpowers. Um, yeah, Thanks. that that was like, I, I does she manage to kill the zombie? Yeah. Yeah, she does. I believe. No, she yeah. knocks him down and then she like drives away. Yeah. I don't think yeah. he gets killed. He's not but... going to last much longer as it is. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah. A great moment. I mean, I think she literally. Yeah. She has like a line where she's like, essentially warning him. She's like, I don't yeah. want to hurt you, but I, I can and I will. Um. Yeah. My favorite kind of like practical effect. It seems very like subdued, but I really do love it. Is just the imagery of all of the empty clothing on the street with the mm-hmm. dust in them. I think it goes back yeah. once again to like the imagery of just like the beautiful desolate Los Angeles streets and like seeing that because like it, it, I think it works perfectly in hand with like as I was saying prior like I think it's beautiful the empty Los Angeles streets the coloring 
but then you add kind of this like eerie element to it that's already there when it's like and all this like empty clothes and this red dust which like Mm -hmm. you know is everyone you ever knew and that's what's left of them and it's just like it's not in your face scary or crazy or Mm -hmm. freaky but it's just subtle enough that there's like it works with the existing like cinematic like beauty visually that's going on but also just like the overall like eeriness of like everyone's literally dust in the fucking wind yeah, and then well, when it like washes down the, the drains. Yes, the next at the end of the movie. Away, yes, yeah. The bee horror element comes to mind because it's a really smart way to show that everyone has, mm-hmm. you know, yes. quote unquote, been raptured and disappeared without having to have a bunch of empty cars. Yeah, because I was like, why are there not more abandoned cars? But then you think about the budget, and you're like, okay, they obviously couldn't afford to do that. Mm-hmm. Having like these empty clothes sprinkled everywhere where you know these people have been evaporated is just super smart way to do that with little money and was effective and creepy. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think Abby should begin with her favorite line and then maybe we each just say like our top one. And then if we have additional ones we want to throw out, we can do that. So I had a lot of lines that I wrote down, <laughs> but the you one know. that I want to say is perhaps my favorite <laughs> is in the beginning uh, when she wakes up morning after with uh, this like boyfriend-esque figure that she just had sex with and he's like needs to do something for work so he's like immediately gonna leave and he's like I have to go like find this guy or whatever that was supposed to drop off this film and she sits up and she goes god don't I get an egg McMuffin or anything <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> really made me laugh I mean I love a McDonald's shout out but also just her being like I just had sex with you and you're not even going to get me like a McMuffin the morning after. You're just going to fucking dip. Um, it actually got an audible laugh out of me. So that has to be my That's favorite. A great line. I love that. Um, one of my favorites, and I'm sure it's, you know, on other lists, maybe possibly yours as well, um, is in the mall when they're fighting the crazy motherfuckers. And there's the lead guy who has, I think at this point, he's like holding Samantha hostage. It's like right before they cut to like the girls being like chained up in like the fucking basement. And um, it's, uh, oh, I know what it was. Reggie was like holding one of his guys hostage. And he's like, you can't, I can't let you have one of my guys hostage. And she like doesn't understand what he means until he kills the guy to be like, mm-hmm. you have nothing against me now. And so she, she like falls down and she's like, you're fucking crazy. And he goes, I'm not crazy. I just don't give a fuck. And I was like, that's wow. your energy. He is evil. Iconic. And I, don't, I don't stand for what he stands for. But what a fucking like mood. Thanks for half. clarifying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I know you guys are worried for a second that I was like truly out of my feminist headspace. <laughs> you just don't give a fuck. I literally don't. I give a that's lot of great. fucks actually, unfortunately. Anyways. Um, I have a few as well, but my favorite line, I made Greg rewind it because I was like, is that what she just fucking said? I went to put subtitles on to be sure, but it's. Right before Reggie and Sam save the two children who are about to become brain dead and they bust into the room as the nurses are trying to put the masks on the children. And the little girl says, I don't know. My parents told me never to breathe anything from strangers. And I'm like, what the fuck is that something your parents have told you? Like, don't take anything from strangers. Don't eat anything. Don't breathe anything from strangers. It cracked me Don't take up. a puff of that stranger's cigarette. <laughs> parents tell me that all the time. Like, what? I loved it. Kids are uh, saying the darndest thing. Yeah. Um, Abby, do you want to toss any of your other ones out before we move on? Well, I'm looking about other ones that I wrote down, and the only one that I'm seeing right here 
it's it's like an LA specific joke, but it's when they're in the radio station and Sam, who is like the more like younger, sillier mm-hmm. cheerleader sister, is like, "Do you think this happened everywhere? You know, like Burbank, places <laughs> like that." Yeah, that was good. <laughs> that really made me laugh because Burbank is not far away from LA. No. <laughs> it's like. Yeah girl, where's the global thinking? She's not like, did this happen in Tokyo? She's like, did this happen in Burbank? Um, I don't know. Burbank, if it's so good, it probably didn't happen there. Yeah, Um, it just made me laugh. I thought it was cute. And then I liked their little um, conversation that they had um, when Sam, she's like kind of trying to fuck with Reggie. And she's like, well, you know, what if Hector's gay? Oh my God. You know, like, she's like, only man left alive and he didn't try to make a move on you, you know, he's either gay or a gentleman. What do you think are the odds in LA? Yeah. It just made me laugh. Like it's not, it's not homophobic, but it's like a funny way to mention um, that there's a lot of gay people here. There literally <laughs> are. Uh, I do want to make note of the line early on from Sam to Doris. Yes. Thank um, you. Right this is fight, where she goes, you were born with an asshole, Doris. You don't need Chuck. Well, can I add to that? Because the yeah. line leading up to that is when <laughs> when Dora says, Chuck's a nice guy. He's certainly nice to be with when daddy's in banana land. And that, <laughs> and then she said, you were born with an asshole, Dora, so you don't need Chuck. And I was like, we are like six minutes in. This is fucking incredible. Wow. It's so good to see how fucking sassy she is with this stepmom. Yeah. Uh, and that obviously that asshole line is the one that Doris slaps her and then she slaps mm-hmm. her back and then Doris like slugs her in the face. Yeah. Uh, which was intense. Uh, my, I have one more line. Oh, it's yeah. really quick. It's right after the scene where they save the kids. They're getting into the elevator and the kids still have their hands up. And Reggie goes, put your hands down, kids. God, don't be so stupid. And I was like, I love this energy. Fucking like uh, talk shit to these kids. I loved it. Don't be well, so they're going to be her kids soon enough. I know. Ridiculous. I know we didn't even we didn't even mention the end of the movie, which is obviously that that mm-hmm. Reggie and Hector end up being like quasi parents to these two children. Yeah, and then, and then we finally find out who DMK is, the guy that mm-hmm. beat Reggie's score, who is the, the one of the other only last surviving guys that like rolls up, almost pancakes Sam, and then yeah. um, it's perfect drives, for her though. Drives away with it's her to bring a- back at midnight, and the place place is DMK. Mm-hmm. It's so it's such a cute callback to the video game at the beginning yeah. and so satisfying to be like, she gets a boyfriend too. Yeah. It wrapped everything for the girlies. Oh yeah. yeah. So ladies, the last of our staple OG, uh, staple uh, Q and Slate questions is if somebody in this movie, if you were in this movie universe was going to be your partner in crime. And as always, you can interpret that however you want. That could mean your familial partner in crime, love interest, best friend, work partner. I don't give a fuck. Um, who would they be? So, Abigail, who would be your partner in crime? No question. I already wrote it down. I would want to be with Reggie, Regina. She is the protagonist, final girl. She's really hot. I'd want her to be my girlfriend. Fuck Hector. We don't need him. And she's very capable. Obviously, she knows how to use a gun. She's scrappy. She gets herself out of this dangerous situation at the end of the movie. She's with it from moment number one. And she's beautiful. She's captivating. And she's got a good heart. And at the end, she becomes a mother. You know, she's just, she's perfect in every way. I would choose her, no question. I did love Sam. She's adorable. But in terms of, like, most usefulness, Reggie. Okay. Great. Um, I'm going to go with Dr. White 
because oh. I loved her. I think she's such a strong woman. She's beautiful. And maybe if we had been together, uh, you know, going into a bunker with me and her, we between the two of us would have been much smarter than the men and we would have shut the vent and then she wouldn't have had to go ahead and die. And we could have survived the apocalypse together. Hmm. Yeah. Cute. Um, what about you, Anya? To keep in character. Is it Hector with the hat? It's Hector. We can Only when the hat, though. Only uh, when he has the cowboy hat. I mean, obviously there's like the like, you know, the classic on brand for me to always pick like the boy. But specifically what I like about Hector is like, sure, if it's the end of the world, I need, I'm gonna need something. And if he's the only person around, give him to me. But as I was saying before, I appreciate the fact that like, he's a strong character. He's a, str- he's a strong man, whatever the fuck you want to say. Like he can hold his own, but he doesn't ever use that to like belittle the women around him to make them feel like they have to be saved or that he's mm-hmm. in charge. Like he, he truly is, I think someone you would want, like even beyond like, Oh, marriage or whatever, like as like a strong partner in your life, because like he's got your back. He's never going to like dull your shine or like overstep you, but he, he doesn't feel like someone you have to drag along at the same time. Like he's mm-hmm. not weak or he's not like overbearing. He's like the perfect amount. He's like truly an equal partner to you. And like, that's what I would want on top of the cowboy hat. Nice. Amazing. Um, and I would want that in the body of a beautiful woman. That's what we both get what we want. I want nothing more for you. I want nothing more for you. Um, uh-huh. We have to split guess... them up, Abby. We have, we are the ones that have to <laughs> Um, now on to OG, OG questions. questions. Yes. Yes. I will um, start with mine yeah, and then we can move on. Um, it can be a pretty quick answer. If you were to wake up one morning and the rapture has happened or the apocalypse has happened and everybody else is gone, maybe you have one person with you. Once you've come to like terms with all of that, what's the first thing you'd go and do? First thing? Yeah. You're like, I have the world. I'm just, I can do whatever I want. What would you do? I think that I would do something kind of like satisfying that you could never do, like run on the highway or like uh, break into somebody's house. Actually, you know what? I'd probably break into like a mansion. That's a good, yeah. I'd probably get, I'd probably like start looting right away. immediate looting but you know like i live in la so like yeah. i get my ass over to beverly hills and start looting some celebrity homes bling ring style yeah yeah um, um i mean my, partially i thought my original answer was gonna be something like i would just like get in the car and like drive as fast as i want but presumably like and also could have cars. as well there'd yeah. be cars where so that would fuck me so that aside i think honestly i would go to disneyland mm. but I, could you operate the rise yourself I don't even care about writing the rides. Like, I just want to, like, go and look at everything and be able to, like, go in the secret doors and, like, see how everything works. And, like... Desolate Disneyland. I wouldn't have to wait in line to do anything. And also, like, you know, no one would be able to stop me. Like, there's no staff to be, like, staff only. Like, I go in the secret fucking staff tunnels. Like, (laughs) I don't know. I don't know if, like, truly in real life if that happened. That would be the first thing i do. But that's the first thing that comes to mind, especially because we live in California. To be like, yeah, no one's going to stop me. What would you do, Alex? My thought process was that, like, if the world is over, I don't know how realistic it is to think that there's going to be electricity for a super long amount of time. So I would probably try to take advantage of being able to, like, watch a movie. And I'd probably break into the theater we worked at because I know how to run that projection booth. And I'd probably just whatever movie was playing there that I hadn't seen yet, put it on and be like, this is probably the last movie I'm ever going to get to watch. And I would watch as many as I could until the power went out. 
I love how simple yeah. it is, but also how yeah realistic. Yeah, and there's a bunch I of I was candy, kind of thinking so. about that too, like going to the movie theater mm-hmm. and like owning the movie theater. Yeah, I'd be like, this is mine again. <laughs> and yeah, definitely similarly, I feel like I'd probably also like go to the mall and like go to Macy's and like oh, yeah. all the fucking dresses. I would have no fucking prayer. Of that Godiva store would not be ready for me. Oh my god! Are you kidding me? So my original question was pretty much the same as Alex's, the one that I wrote down. Um, But I'll just tweak it to say like, okay, you're in the mall. What store are you rating? Godiva. Now that you're- Godiva. 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 And you're going to Macy's? I know I'm going to- Fuck. Of all the stores, don't go to Macy's. You're going to build a bear, bitch. Um, the build a bears now aren't cute. We almost, I, I, I was gonna buy me build a bear for Christmas, and I was like, these ones are ugly. Um, no, you're right. I, I probably would go to a clothing store. I don't know if I have a brand. Go to Victoria's Secret and just try on lingerie. Yeah, I, something like that. I would be able to try everything on, get as much as I want. I mean, I think, I think, also times when we go to like malls, like. Glendale Gallery whatever the fuck and I go and there's like a lot of these stores where like even if I see something where I'm like oh I probably look good in that or like I really want that like I don't even walk in the store because I'm like either like I'm just not in a place right now where I can really be wearing clothes or like mm-hmm. I just know it's gonna be too expensive for my price range where like yeah if I didn't have that as a worry I'm like oh my god I would be a fashionista if money was not an, oh, op- yeah. an issue like I would be stunting I would be turning out looks every fucking day um so I don't I know what you like- care about a clothing store I feel like not even for survival reasons, but just for like living out my fantasy, like I would want to go to like the army surplus <laughs> and just like get dripped out with like blades. No. Like I, I would want like a black, I would want like a black leather outfit and then I would want to be like strapped up with some fucking daggers and knives and like throwing stars. Like, yes, it could come in handy during the apocalypse, but also just like live out that like matrix ass fantasy. Like I want to be wearing a black trench. I want like a knife that's bigger than my head. And then I would go to fucking K Jewelers and drip myself out with some diamonds on top. And then, I just love the, and then she would go to Claire's and get a cute. <laughs> I love the image no, of like the three of us in an apocalypse with like diamonds. Abby is all like leathered and studded out. You are like in full fucking like corset and I just have chocolate all over my face. And we're like, yeah. <laughs> Fuck yeah. And you know, would make a great with movie. Us. Um, okay. My OG, um, I guess to tangentially go off the mall thing, is mm-hmm. if you and your sister were having a, we're in a movie. I guess you can you can decide if it's apocalyptic or not. Mm-hmm. But you were in a movie and you were having your fun fashion montage moment. Let's say it was po- you know fuck it. Let's just say it's a post-apocalyptic movie. You're having your version of this. Mm-hmm. What song is playing for you and your sister's fashion montage? Oh, that's so hard. Hmm. Holy shit. Yeah. I do. I mean, uh, I think girls who want just want to have fun is like such an, a choice. I mean, I it's an excellent it, choice. It's but, a perfect choice. But I will pick some. Okay. Else. What about um, <laughs> reflection? Is that Lil Mix? <laughs> oh my god! Um, no, that's Fifth Harmony. It is. You're talking about the song where my own reflection. I'm yes. My own reflection. I fucking love that dumbass. Song. I feel like <laughs> that song. I mean, uh, it's. It's like a like it has to be like a baddie girl empowerment song, mm-hmm. um, and I feel like that would be a really good choice. That's good. But I'm that also voice. thinking about like, yeah, yeah. I think that's that would be my selection. 
I, I think that. I would. So random, but. I think I would not let my sister have any say because she, she listens to country music, which is not my vibe. And we're not putting on fucking like a, that chicken fried song. So uh, I'm just going to put whatever oh, what? I want. You know that fucking... fried, what? <laughs> yeah, I don't want to deal with that. So we're going to go with a song I think is a bop that I want to okay. put on clothes to. And it's going to be 212 by Azealia Banks. Oh, right. Great. Right on. Yeah. Play oh. literally the fucking killing spree track yeah. actually it's the best like if i'm killing a fuck ton of zombies with my uzi yeah i was in the 212 literally um my song and it's specifically because it's a little silly but also because it is a song that a lot of times if bridget and i like when i come back home wherever we're in the car we like put it on and then we put up the volume so like loud that like the car mm-hmm. vibrates which would be um pitbull's hotel room service (laughs) (laughs) and i just imagine like this like ridiculous ass like i'm imagining like in the movie when they're like at the top of those like big ass stairs Mm -hmm. like coming down in the gowns and it's like like we are the hotel motel um and i just think it'd be so fun um so that would absolutely like and if i was working with like picking it with her like that would be the song that's our song i love that I should say, like, if it's me and Rachel, because I obviously have two sisters, but if it was me and Rachel, like, we'd probably need, like, My Chemical Romance. Nice. Welcome to the Black Parade. Because that would also get us in that apocalypse mindset. <laughs> what an yeah. interesting like, song to have, like, a fashion contest to. We're making the Black Parade right now. Yeah, and we would be at Hot Topic. I know you for real, girl. That's where we would be. We would be getting dripped out in the fucking trip jeans. <laughs> Amazing. Jesus Christ. All right. Well, to finish this out, as always, we have to give the movie an overall rating from the ladies on a scale of our rating system, which is for a refresher for anybody that needs it. It is Busty Blonde is a one, Stoner Bros a two, Dumb Jock is a three, Boy Next Door is a four, and Final Girl is a five. So, Alex, what are you rating this movie? Uh, I am going to give this four stars, Boy Next Door. Nice. Yeah. Abigail. This is my moment, and I didn't come to play. I'm giving it five stars, final girl. Wonderful. I love that. Honestly, after talking about it, like, I already love the movie. I'm, like, torn on, like, how high I want to go. Like, I feel like I want to go really high. I know. I I almost did four and a half. I know. I I feel like four and a half. But I'm going to go – I'm going to go boy next door as well. Um, It's something that, like, a week from now I'll probably be like, fuck. I should have gone five. (laughs) Um (laughs) – But it's so good. It's so good. And I think, honestly, this is not the last time I'm going to watch this movie in my life. And I just feel like I'm going to grow to appreciate it even more over time. Mm -hmm. So this is one of our higher rated movies um, that we've done on here. So it's definitely a recommend. Once again, if you've listened to all this and now you're really finally intrigued to watch it, it's on Shudder, it's on Tubi, it's on all that great stuff. Um, Abigail. Annual Christmas watch for me. Yeah, literally. Um, New tradition. Abby, it was so lovely to have you on here. We, I wanted you on here so long and you know we had you on for troll two and just scheduling reasons made it hard but i'm so glad we finally got you on for such a fucking fantastic movie um Mm -hmm. is there anything you would like to plug to our audience before we go you know we plugged my zine already that's all i have thank you to these two beautiful bad bitches for having me on the girls who cried (laughs) before you can find me on instagram at grimy hag g-r-i-m-y-h-a-g 
Yes, and Beautiful. I will link all of Abby's socials and the garage's socials in the description of the episode so it's easy for you creeps to find. Um, thank, thank you, you, Angel. Of course. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Um, we can't wait to be back um, next month at the latest for whatever we have in store. And I'm sure it will be wonderful and fantastic as always. Um, I hope you're having a wonderful start to your 2023. And as always, keep it creepy. Bye. 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 Hi, creeps, and thank you for listening to another episode of The Girls Who Cry Be Horror. We would not be able to make this podcast, though, completely on our own, and we have some folks that we would love to thank. Um, first and foremost, if you've noticed, we have amazing new artwork, and we have to thank our friend Raymond Lowell, who commissioned it for us. Uh, you can follow him on Instagram and see all his other amazing art at RB Lowell. Uh, who else, Alex? Uh, we would love to thank, yet again, for another season, our lovely friend Nathan Graham who made our beautiful introduction music um, and he sings the Girls Who Cried Be Horror. Um, you can follow him at yes. instant underscore grams like his name. Um, and you can also check out his podcast with our other friend Jonah uh, called The Commonwealth. Yes, all good spooky content. Yes. And of course, if you can't get enough of us, we're on social media too. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at the Girls Who Cried Be Horror, on Twitter at Girls Who Cried BH, and if you really want to write us a whole novella, baby, you can send us an email at the Girls Who Cried Be Horror at gmail.com. We always want to hear your thoughts and opinions and your insight. Uh, and if you want to follow us individually on social media, you're welcome to do that as well. Uh, I am at G Way Forever. That is G E E W A Y number four and then ever on Instagram at agarity15 on Twitter, and uh, on agarity on Letterboxd if you really want my uh, my film insight. Alex? Yeah, and if you want to check out the uh, three tweets and Instagram posts I do a year, you can check me out uh, yes. at Alex Branley, because I'm very basic on Twitter, Instagram, or Letterboxd. It's all the same. I'm just Alex Branley. She makes it easy for you, folks. Yeah. She makes it easy for you. Um, that's what we have for now, so we'll see you creeps next time. Goodbye. Bye-bye. The girls who cried me horror